This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show, we're going to get into every detail of the Robert Drysdale and Max Roshkoff controversy from UFC and Vegas 3. Plus, speaking of that, we'll get the co-main event winner. Josh Emmett is going to be here after a fight of the year contender. Plus, we'll get to the rest of the card with our best of the rest. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156 at 1 p.m. East Coast time. And don't forget about our mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right. Well, happy Monday to you. Happy belated Father's Day to all the dads out there. I had a great Father's Day. Uh, My second one as a dad, the first one was, I won't say anticlimactic, but my kid had only been alive, let's see, um, you know, six weeks or so. So it was all still new and crazy and weird. But the last one, this was on Sunday. I got to experience after seeing my kid alive for a year, and uh, it was, I got to tell you, it was much more enriching. It was a great time. I I saw my family for the first time since the pandemic started, so that's a a bonus. We had, my brother made us eat outside. We couldn't even go in his house uh, unless we had to use the restroom, and then he made us use a mask. I'm not kidding. Y'all think I'm crazy about COVID? Y'all ain't seen nothing. So that was a little much, but... Uh, he made great food, and it was great to see the fam. So I hope you guys had an opportunity to do that uh, as well. All right, 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. So let's get to it. UFC Vegas 3, whatever we're going to call this danged thing, is in the books. And uh, we, we knew. We told you on this show. This was not hard to figure out. I mean, listen, sometimes cards overperform our level of coverage sometimes they're much better than we give them credit you know and that should be acknowledged fair enough but sometimes we can look at a card well in advance we can be like oh this one has fire written all over it and that was pretty much what you got um i actually thought the main event people were mad at it but i'm like that actually was a more interesting version than what we could have gotten i mean i guess the best version which was curtis blades winning via a unanimous decision. I guess a better version would have been had he finished off Volkov sometime in the first three rounds when he was totally dominating. But the reality is, uh, it just wasn't in the cards. Um, Volkov, I think I've decided, or at least I would argue, it's not my decision to make, I suppose, but I've decided for myself anyway, he's a hard guy to look good against. If you look at Volkov, I mean, first of all, he's, he wins a lot. And even when he doesn't do well, either in fights where he wins or uh, straight-up losses, like the, the winner doesn't come out looking all that great. He got finished off by Vitaly Minikov and Bellator back in 2013. But okay, here we are in 2020. He has one loss to Tony Johnson in Bellator, split decision. He got out-wrestled by Czech Congo, but that fight sucked in 2015. Then he bounced to AM1. And then he came to UFC. He, he's beaten Timothy Johnson, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve. And then he beat Fabricio Verdum. He was beating the snot out of Derek Lewis up until the very last instant. So we can all say, like, did Derek Lewis look good in that fight? No, he just hit the Hail Mary at the end. He beats Greg Hardy in a fairly unmemorable performance. And then against Curtis Blades, Curtis did really well the first three rounds. But then the last two, you know, Volkov, I think, made it more interesting by just, like, he's got a real ability to hang on and survive and then eventually the fight just makes its way to the feet enough times where he can begin to work magic he doesn't get too overwhelmed on the ground 
He's a tough customer, man. He's hard to beat and he's hard to look good against. And so I think you saw some of that. Dana White buried Curtis Blades for the comments that he had made. I don't think Dana is altogether without points, but I also think Curtis Blade is making good points. I think they both are sort of in a way kind of talking past each other. We'll, we'll get to that with the audio and the discussion on today's show. So that was a sensational uh, win for him, although um, there, there, he's still got a long way to go before he's going to get where he wants to be. I'll put it that way. Then in your co-main event, easy, easy, easy fight of the year contender. I don't even know what else to say about this. If you missed Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos, and again, sometimes fights are amazing and we never see it coming. We all saw this one coming. I did. Y'all did. We all knew. Anyone who's a real fight fan looked at this one and went, ooh, that one is going to be a banger. And that was exactly, exactly what you got. What a contest between these two guys. I mean, they gave it to each other. Constant, constant punishment. High degree of output. Still technical. It was not a brawl. I mean, there may have been some decisions made along the way where they were you know, taking some risks. I think that's probably fair. But that was a very te- technical brawl is what you might call something like that. But it was very technical. And uh, a real just dynamic striking contest made all the more impressive, not merely because Emmett has now shown that he has some of the best punching power at 145 pounds without a shadow of a doubt. But even more impressive was that he tweaked his knee at the beginning. Now, did he tear his ACL? Did he not? I guess we'll find out here in about 20 or so minutes when we talk to him. We'll see exactly where things stand with his knee. But suffice to say, um, with the knee or without the knee, impressive. And then if his knee is really that banged up where he tore an ACL or something else, just incredible job by him. Here's where I want to open up with. I, I want to do my big takeaway. And it's going to be on the controversial stoppage between rounds, second and third, in the Max Roshkopf austin Hubbard fight. Let's get right into it. The opening bout at UFC Vegas 3 was a, uh, a contest between newcomer Max uh, Roshkopf taking on Austin Hubbard. Austin Hubbard had had, uh, I think he'd gone like one and two in the UFC up to that point. But if you looked at his record, the dude had fought like really, really tough people. So it was a little bit misleading. Plus he had come from LFA, plus he had overall 15 fights. So here's what happens. First round, pretty competitive. Um, Austin Hubbard's doing okay, but Roshkopf is all over him with good wrestling, you know, good control positions, every which way, round ends. Second round starts, and it's, you know, Roshkopf's still sort of going after things, Minari rolls. Um, he's still attempting, but you're noticing at the beginning of the round uh, not quite as much activity. He visibly slowed, and Hubbard is beginning to land uh, hard and often. And as each minute passes, it gets worse and worse and worse. Now, this was not a tremendous beating, but suffice to say, by the end of the round, Roshkoff had gotten tuned up. Uh, his takedowns weren't working. He could not establish control. Um, he just couldn't really get anything going. He, he was close with the, you know, he's threatening some heel hook attempts, blah, blah, blah. But really the, the story of round two was Hubbard had laid into him hard punches, popping his head back, bloodied him up. He'd really sort of stuck it to him in the second round. Not the worst bidding you've ever seen, but it was pretty clear. Like, oof, this is headed in the wrong direction for Max Roshkoff. He goes back to his corner and he says, I think he, I counted nine or 10 times. And his chief corner at that point is Robert Drysdale, one of the best black belts uh, of our time and uh, an undefeated MMA fighter. 
Um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, I think a great person. I don't, this is not a personal attack that I'm about to make. Uh, I don't think he's evil or bad, but I think he is terribly mistaken and we need to figure out why. Now, Roshkoff goes through and says nine times he doesn't want to do this. Nine or ten times. I mean, over and over and over and over and over again. And throughout the course of that, Drysdale is trying to, like, cajole him back into getting back out there. You're a champion. You can do this. Go down there and take him down. Like, he's utterly ignoring his fighter, essentially pleading with him to stop the fight. I mean, you have to understand something about fighters when they do that, right? Most fighters don't want to tell their corner that they want to quit. It's very rare, actually. You don't see it that often in boxing or MMA. They need the corner to do that for them. They don't want to surrender. They want the corner to surrender on their behalf so that they don't have to. Now, we, whether you say that should be the case or not, it just often is. So, so understand, that's the normal way that fighters usually get a, a corner to intervene. Here he is just straight up telling him over and over and over and over again, and he just ignores it. Now, I think uh, uh, Drysdale had said later on that, you know, in fact, once the once the they said seconds out and the, you know, the the break in between the rounds had expired, that he was then going to go and and stop it. But the way it actually happened was I think either a doctor or a ring officiant told the ref that the fighter wanted to quit. Then the ref goes over and says, do you want to quit? And he said, yes. First of all, I do not shame Max Rochkoff at all. Dana White, I thought, had some pretty smart comments about it. Afterwards, mine are pretty simple. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make any broad claims. Well, was this guy going to live it down? I think there's a lot of just mythology that goes into stuff like this that we borrow from boxing about, you know, the embarrassment of this all. There's nothing embarrassing about it. Look, here's one of the major problems with this. The guy, Austin Hubbard, had a 11-4 and record, which doesn't seem that great, but it's deceiving because he came from LFA. He is very talented. He had fought really tough guys in the UFC, and even then, he made a pretty strong account of himself. Okay, he had to fight Mark Madsen and Davi Hamos. Like, dude, you had to fight uh, uh, an ADCC champion who won against Lucas Lepre by flying armbar and a silver medalist in the Olympics. Like, you you know, it's going to be hard to look good. So he, he, the record was deceiving, and he had three times as much experience as Roshkoff. Like, it was, you know, the, the UFC, to fill these slots, they're calling in people who I just don't think are ready for the big show yet. Not that they're not talented, but that they may not be able to get wins, but, like, they're ready to sort of sustain a path at this level. I think that the, these things are happening way too prematurely, and managers and corners and, and, and coaches need to be very aware of this uh, in this current predicament. Um, that's the first problem, but really the major problem here, um, is as follows after the fight Drysdale really defended himself. Again, I'm going to ignore for just a moment. The fact that he said he eventually did try to stop it. Let's assume that that's true. But for the moment, let's imagine just for a moment that he had not done that and that everything else he had said uh, uh, would be, would be the argument that we're addressing here. Now, again, this is not personal. I think as a combat athlete, Drysdale was making the point. It's like, I know fighting, you know, I don't tell scientists about quantum mechanics. I don't tell artists how to paint, but I know fighting. Fair enough. Um, he has been a decorated, not just a black belt, a decorated black belt at the highest level and an undefeated MMA fighter, I believe. Right. So I'm not here to tell him what fighting is and isn't, but I did did some digging yesterday. I spent my Sunday enjoying Father's Day, but I was on the phone a little bit as well, talking to as many commissioners as I could. And here is what I found out. 
There is no major regulatory body in the United States or potentially anywhere. I can't say for sure that's true, but no one that I talked to, and I spoke to some pretty heavy hitters in the regulatory world, no one that I talked to told me that there is any regulatory body that has put out any language or best practices as it relates to cornering, either in boxing or in MMA doesn't exist. And they have language around weight cutting. They have language for what the referee needs to do. They have language for the corner insofar as what they can and can't do, but not what best practices are. There is, there might be referee courses and training, but I don't know how widely available they are to MMA fighters in terms of like how many fighters have taken them. And the regulatory agencies don't provide best practices. Now that might be changing, I'm told. In fact, what they're noticing is so many MMA corners are just letting this rock that they don't want to do anything about it. So uh, in terms of stopping the fights, so they believe that there is now cause to develop some best practices. So what that tells you is when, when Robert Drysdale makes a point about the combat aspect of the fight, I don't have anything to tell him he's right. When it comes to best practices in cornering, to my knowledge, he has had no formal training in this regard. And neither have I, but I've spent the better part of 15 years talking to the experts in this field, and I have looked at the best practices from boxing, and I have talked to the coaches who have exercised them, whether it is Barry Hunter, who stopped the fight for Lamont Peterson, and whether it is Trevor Whitman, who has stopped fights um, for Nate Marquardt, whether it is Duke Rufus, who stopped a fight for Anthony Pettis before. I have talked to the folks who have done it. I have talked to the regulators. And I can tell you unequivocally, the things that Robert Drysdale said in defending himself tells me that he does not appear to grasp the full weight and role of cornering, which is to say the major mistake that corners continue to make, and this is hardly exclusive to Robert Drysdale. You see this pretty consistently. The major mistake is that they think their job is to be a NASCAR pit crew. That however you drive into uh, you know, pit lane or whatever the hell they call it, uh, we're going to change your tires, fill up the gas, whatever, whatever we need to do to get you back on the track, that's what we're going to do. We'll cool you down, we'll put some end swell on it, and then we're just going to send you back out. Rather than looking at the broader picture, which is, yes, you absolutely need to be somebody who can inspire confidence, who can give strategic advice, and guide your fighter to victory. But there comes a time when you also must accept that is no longer your role. And now you must be a health advocate. That is clearly and unequivocally a part of the job. And MMA corners routinely either don't seem to be aware of this or ignore it. And I can tell you regulators are aware of it and the people who make the best calls on behalf of their fighters, they're aware of it too. It sounds contradictory. I'm sending you out to fight. How can I be your health advocate? Because at some point it begins to switch. At some point you begin to realize the juice ain't worth the squeeze here and we have to think about their long-term health. And that is a switch that a lot of MMA corners simply are not willing or unable to make. When Roshkoff came back, Drysdale kept saying, I did what any coach would do, which was try to motivate him. Dude, through the course of 60 seconds, he pleaded multiple times, nearly double-digit times, for this to be called off. He is not listening to your pep talk. It is evident he is not listening to your pep talk. Not going to work. You have to have some self-awareness about that. If the fighter is listening and responding, that's one thing. He's not. And I don't even mind the initial approach to get him to jazz him up because Drysdale's right. It wasn't the worst beating we've ever seen. So his initial 
effort to get him going, I don't mind. But six or seven times, he's telling you to call it off. He's not listening to you. And as a coach, you got to be aware of that. I would also humbly submit here, you have to look at their body posture. We had the same conversation. Big John McCarthy talked about this in the Smith and Teixeira fight when Smith is sort of looking down between rounds. Go back and look at Roshkoff's body language. He is not looking forward. He is looking down. He is begging to get out of that fight. And I agree, it was not the worst beating I've ever seen. Tony Ferguson took a much worse beating from the fourth heading into the fifth. But Tony Ferguson's one of the best lightweights ever. He's a former belt holder. He is profoundly experienced. It's a title fight. There's a lot of reasons why that one, you could at least squint and maybe understand why it continues versus this guy. It's not always about the punishment threshold. It's about their commitment to it. And maybe maybe this Roshkoff guy is a guy who sometimes... You know, his head's not in the game, and he needs to be talked to. Again, I don't mind that Drysdale did that. I just mind that after six, seven times, it's pretty clear your pep, tops, your pep talk is not going to work. You have to examine his body language. You have to look at the larger circumstance, 15 fights versus a guy with five. And then when corners get out there and defend, and they say, I would do the same again. This is about getting my fighter back out there to inspire the best. It's not about that anymore. That, that is so absolutely fundamentally not true. The only way to defend that cornering practice beyond, again, the initial attempt to get Max to go out there, uh, again, fine. But beyond that, and then the, the language subsequently that was used, the only way to defend that is to not understand the broader role that a corner plays. It is to look at one aspect of it, and that's the primary one and the consistent one. I agree. But the best corners, as difficult as it may be at times, they realize there is a second role you have to play. You are a health advocate. And if I'm telling you MMA corners, y'all will know more about fighting than I ever will. I acknowledge it up front. I learn from you every single day. But I'm telling you, I am telling you, if you don't start making that switch from pit crew to health advocate when it's necessary, y'all are going to get somebody killed or badly hurt and maimed and everything worse. And these commissions and these referee courses and everything else, there needs to be best practices laid out. There needs to be training that happens because they have the wrong idea about what they're doing and the consequences are going to be catastrophic. It's like, dude, I understand the pandemic is going to cause these situations. I get it. I understand it. You know, these are grown adults and they're going to make their own choices, but you got to understand what you're in for. And, and listen, some of these people, like, listen, everyone, I'm not mad at the manager for believing in his guy, right? If, if that's what really happened here. I'm not mad at Brian Butler for believing in his guy because he just thought his guy was the next big thing. And he showed flashes of brilliance. Cobb, would you not agree? Like, Roshkoff had a couple of moments there. I was like, wow, where he had a heel hook, but he had the other leg trapped beyond the one he was attacking. So he had both ankles wrapped. That is the thing you see in jiu-jitsu all the time. You almost never see it in MMA, and he had it. He's a talented kid. I understand the enthusiasm. It's just <laughs> sometimes you can believe in somebody so much you, you're not aware of their, their shortcomings. And uh, this is one such case, I think, that it caught up with him a little bit. You can play the cut. Apparently, his manager has been terrorizing Sean Shelby, that this guy is the guy. This guy's the future of the sport. And uh, finally, Sean said, okay, I, I'll bring him in. I got a last-minute replacement and brought him in. And that was his performance tonight. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's tough. 
it's tough. You don't make any money on the regional scene. There might not be any fights. You know, it's uh, it's a <laughs> it's hard, man. It's a it's a difficult time to know when to pull that trigger. Let me get to some of this other audio if we have it. Um, you know, Dana notes that when you're done, you're effing done, man. Cut four. In this fucking sport, if you're done, you're done. You should absolutely be able to quit. You know, I I know that it's frowned upon, but guess what? Anybody that would talk shit about you quitting isn't in there fighting. You know, it's real easy to be a critic. With what these kids do is a whole nother level, man. People want to go after Max. You know, you know. I think Dana tells the story, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on it. He says the UFC is a whole different level. Cut five. You get this when you get here. This is a whole different level, man. And that guy's not ready, and he might not ever be ready. Some of us, and I'm not. I'm not. I've told you guys this many times before. I believed one day, that, you know, back in the day that I was a fighter and I wanted to do this and that. And one day I found found out that I wasn't. The realization was that I wasn't. And. When you find out, you, you, need to, you need to walk away. and you need to, I'm not saying that's the case with this kid, but if that kid felt like he needed to quit tonight, who the fuck am, is anybody to judge him on that? He had the balls to come here and fight and take a short-notice fight in the UFC. Couldn't agree more. That is exactly the same experience I had. Now, I did not have any ambitions about being a pro fighter, but I, I, I remember I got out of the Marine Corps and I was looking for a challenge, and I found an MMA gym, and... You know, I started training with some of the pros. Man, you find out real quickly what you're made of in a situation like that. And I wasn't a quitter. Uh, You know, I I showed up to practice and all that kind of stuff. But I realized fairly fast I I was not what they were. You know, and you could tell yourself whatever you want. But when it, there's just a moment sometimes when you've had the shit beaten out of you, by somebody and they made it look effortless and you don't even know how you would have ever responded even under the best of circumstances unless they weren't looking and you had a bat you just begin to realize you're not that dude now so so why did i continue to train because you could stay in shape because i liked it because it's self-defense like maybe i can't beat a you know um, you know, maybe I can't be that guy, but maybe I can protect myself if I ever have to. Uh, I can learn about this kind of thing. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why somebody might want to train. Not everyone has to be a pro fighter, you know, or a Billy Badass. But there's a lot of people. There's a famous Onion article out there. And it's, uh, it's like area man overestimates fighting ability by 5,000%. <laughs> people just think they have it. Unless you've ever had that really and truly tested. And that's not once or twice. That's something you have to show up for consistently. You'll, you'll realize you're not that. Either you're going to figure that out pretty fast and it's, you're the rare breed who can do it. Or you'll be like me and most other people, including Dana White, and you realize you're not that guy. You're not that guy. And uh, you know, it can sound delusional being like, how did you ever think you were? Because everybody thinks they can or most people do, a lot anyway, a huge, a huge portion, especially when you, in my case, when I was coming off of like, you know, six years of Marine Corps indoctrination, you know, you think you're Billy Badass, but you, you know, and some of them are, of course, but a lot aren't, most aren't. And uh, once that, once that dawns on you, you look at everything in a whole new light. And that's why I don't seek out like, you know, street fights. I don't glorify them. 
I mean, this kind of, sometimes it can be fun to tell stories about them because, you know, I've, I've had my own rough and tumble background to a degree. Uh, and, you know, I used to bounce in New York City and then other places. You know, I've seen some crazy stuff, but you just don't know who that next guy is going to be, man. You just don't. And I have seen some people take some epic L's as a consequence and then go to jail and everything else. Like, you, you know, for this guy to be like, I had enough, dude, fair enough is what I say. Fair enough. Just wasn't going to be your day. And I'm not here to say that he, you know, his whole career is over. If this becomes a thing he does again, well, then you have some questions you have to ask. But for this one, I think we got to cut the guy a break. Let me hear just a couple more pieces of this audio. Here's Dana saying no shame in what Roshkoff did. You know, he's got to get up tomorrow morning and look at himself in the mirror and figure out who he is and what he wants to do. There, there is no shame in getting here and finding out that you're not it. There's no shame in that at all. You gave it a shot, didn't work out. You know what I mean? Any, anybody who would try to ridicule a kid like that, fuck you. Come try it. <laughs> Come try and do what he did tonight. Very few people can do it. I don't know what he's saying. That's wrong. That's totally right. Uh, and then lastly, if you don't think you can go back out there, don't. Cut seven. The beautiful thing about this sport is you can actually tap out with honor. You know, when, when you think about No Moss, he was ridiculed, ridiculed for years because of that. Yeah. He's one of the baddest dudes to ever walk the face of the planet. Absolutely, Rupert. You, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, no shame in, in that kid quitting on the stool. Yeah. If you feel you can't go back in there and perform, do, do not do it. That's exactly correct. I give Dana a hard time when I feel it's merited. I, I will tell him I thought he was on the money with this, you know, and this stupid culture we have. Yes. If you want to praise the guys who fight through everything, I don't have anything against that. But, dude, not everybody can be that way, including other tough guys. It's just not realistic. Let them be. This week on World of Basketball, Hall of Fame head coach Rick Pitino joined the show, and he spoke about the crazy, intense Panathinaikos Olympiakos rivalry. Duke Carolina would be a church league game compared <laughs> to Olympiakos Panathinaikos. First, first and foremost, your bench is shielded with <laughs> bulletproof glass, and then you have a net around the court, so the hooligans can't throw things. And and this year, my owner had to leave at halftime because he was threatened with a guy holding a hand grenade. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. Let's go to the, uh, the, no, the power of Zoom, actually. This man had a bone to pick with the media, which I thought, you know what? He's right. He is right. But he should know that on this show, we picked him to win. He joins us now. He's the co-main event winner uh, at UFC in Vegas 3. It's the one and only Josh Emmett. Hi, Josh. How are you? Doing good. How you doing, Luke? Doing well. I'm looking at your face here. It's not too banged up. You look pretty good for a guy who was in a hell of a fight. How are you feeling? I, I feel great. You know what I mean? I actually feel great. Um, yeah, just besides the knee. I'm actually at the, the UFC PI right now. I just got treatment done. I'm going to... You know, go over and get the MRI at noon, and so I'm uh, I'm hoping for the best. So I, I should get my results, you know, a few hours after that. What are you thinking? Has it been uh, worse, or uh, I mean, how much stability do you really have on it? Yeah, it's it's just tough. You know, it's uh, I, I've been on crutches. It's a little swollen. Um, I've been getting work, and it it's tough. It's I, I believe it's uh, the meniscus and ACL, but 
we will see how bad it is with the MRI. So I'm trying to stay positive. Um, yeah, but I, I guess I just have to wait and see nothing I can do. And then whatever the results are, whether they're negative or positive, I'll just, I'll have to move forward and, and be uh, proactive and, you know, just work hard at, <laughs> at getting better so I can get back in there. But we'll, but we'll see. Well, let's talk about the good before we get uh, dwell on any more on the bad. What a win, man. Unbelievable. I mean, this was a fight we could look at on paper, and we knew that it was going to be exciting. You must have felt the same. You had to know, like, there's going to be certain fights, man, where it's just going to be a gunfight. Where you, you must have had a mental preparation for what Shane Burgos brought. Not just a technical answer, but sort of a mental, like, kind of what you're in for moment. Oh, yeah. And that, exactly. I knew it was going to be a, a hard fight. He's, he's a tough, tough opponent. I knew he was going to be aggressive, keep coming forward, and he did exactly what I thought. But but I did think once I landed some big shots that he wouldn't be coming forward, and and I was wrong. He still kept coming forward. Um, but but you know he that that's my my greatest attribute, my mentality. Like I I literally when I say it, like I'm willing to go through hell and go through anything um, to get my hand raised, and there there's no quit in me. Um, and within the first like 20 seconds, you know, I, I hurt my knee. Um, and, and that was hard, you know, it was painful. There was no stability. It kept giving out. I think most people, what I was dealing with would have given up or they would have looked for a way out. And, you know, I just thought like the thing that was going through my mind is I was like, okay, I got, you know, 14 and a half minutes left. Um, I, I put in hundreds of hours for this, this, this opportunity, it's one of the bigger fights of my career. Um, you know, I was like, you know, screw this. Like I'm going to bite down on my mouthpiece and I'm going to throw everything I have at him. And I was not going to go home with one check. So one of the interesting parts about this fight for you is there's many parts, but let's talk about the, 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 the X's and O's just a little bit, right? If Burgos is going to come barreling down on you, and this is part of your game anyway, a movement was going to be sort of a really big key. And I still saw some movement, but I guess I have to wonder how much were you able to move relative to what you had planned versus what you were able to actually accomplish given the conditions? Oh, not at all. Like you guys see a lot of my fights. I, I use a lot of movement and it's just, it's unorthodox and things like that. I can switch stances. Um, I couldn't move at all because every time I would, my knee would give out. And then even with some of the leg kicks, he would throw an inside kick and it looked worse because he would kick me, but my knee would buckle. And, and I was like falling over because, because of the, the stability, there was nothing there. Um, I, I didn't, I could not kick with my right leg because I would put all the weight on my left leg and it would buckle. I couldn't like put pressure on that left leg to go to the body, go to the liver, throw uppercuts, things like that, because it would buckle every time. So that's why I kind of just stood there and I, I threw jabs and I threw overhands. Um, I still feel like I, I couldn't sit on my punches and throw a hundred percent because my knee would buckle. So it's like, he, he took some big shots, but I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I feel like if I had my knee, like, I, I don't think he would have got out of the second round. Okay, so the game plan definitely was to sort of intercept him as he was uh, coming your way. What went right in the fight for you? I mean, for all the things that didn't go right, you still got the job done. What did you feel pretty good about when it was over? Um, yeah, just just again, you know, just the resiliency uh, coming up with some type of 
you know, so injury happened and, and I had to just dig down and, and overcome adversity again. And, and even just landing big shots, you know, like my, my boxing coach, Joey Rodriguez says I have a shotgun for a jab. So, um, I still didn't get to commit to that hundred percent, but, but the jab was busting him up, even though he has a 75 and a half inch reach, I still have to use the jab. And, and I was, you know, I bloodied him up with that. And then, you know, I was still landing powerful shots, just not as powerful, um, as they could have been if I could actually put all my weight into them and, and sit on those punches. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy with the outcome. Um, I, I know after the fight, I was, uh, I think I was just, I was more pissed about my knee and then even just leading up to it with, hmm. I, I just see a bunch of media and stuff and people ask me to do interviews and I do it with them. And then, then they come up with some other show and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going with Burgos cause he's going to be too much for Josh. He's younger. He's this, he's that like, uh, if it, but if Josh knocks him out, like I wouldn't be surprised that Burgos should win by decision. I'm like, it just bothers me, you know? And, and I feel like that's been like that for most of my career, all these people, no matter what, they just keep saying, Oh, he's lucky. This was luck. You know, it's just, it, it does drive me. It motivates me, but it's, it, it does piss me off. Like, you know, after a while, I'm just like, I'm going to stop talking to these people. And, um, you know, I, I just feel like I, I, now I deserve the push that I've been wanting, you know, I, I've had no easy fights and I continue, uh, to win and, and I'm exciting every single time I fight. Um, you know, I just, I just want the push or the, not even the notoriety. I don't care about notoriety, anything like that. I know what I'm capable of. And I still didn't even get to scratch the surface. I still didn't get to show you guys what I was really going to go out there and do. I wanted to go out there and just completely outclass him and make it look easy. But I feel with the knee injury, I did not get to do that. So I just bit down and just, we just turned it into a brawl and people are saying it was a phenomenal fight, fight of the year candidate. And, uh, that was on one leg. That's crazy. You did it on one leg and yes, it was a fight of the year contender getting back to sort of the media perception of you. Uh, why do you, okay. So they're wrong and we can all agree that they're wrong, but what, why do you think it was so pervasive? Like, what is it? They're not understanding about you that you understood about yourself again not in totality but in sort of you're right i mean there was a lot of hype behind burgos who's a talented fighter of course oh, but of course. Why, why do you think people are were sleeping on you i don't know they always are they, they they always are they just think okay this guy's a he's a powerful puncher with the overhand right that's all i have i'm a lucky guy with the overhand right you know so so i don't know and, and they're talking about all the, the hype from burgos and things like that i'm like look at our resume like, look at who he's fought. Look at who I fought. You know what I mean? I, I feel like that speaks for itself, you know? Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but like I said, it, I was just pissed about the knee. I was pissed about all that leading up to it. And, <laughs> and so it was just, I, I don't know where it came from. I was, uh, <laughs> I was just, I was just frustrated, but, but yeah, it's like may, maybe now someone will, I don't need respect. I don't need, I don't need anything. You know, I just, uh, I just wanted to let them know, you know, like, continue and, and that's you know being a journalist media whatever of course they're gonna i just i just think people should be on a more neutral playing field even commentators and stuff like that um when you can tell there's like i said there's politics and everything people are biased they have favorites um like let's have a more neutral playing field because they can dictate and persuade and and, and drive the narrative even in like a say an arena like that when the commentators are just talking about one person all the time the judges are right there they hear it and, and we 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 have uh issues with the judges all the time so it's like i, I feel like 
at the apex, it was going to be more of a neutral playing field because you don't have the crowd um, manipulating that, you know, because if, if you're the hometown fighter, anytime you land a strike, even if it's not that hard, the crowd goes nuts. Then, you know, your opponent hits you and it's silent. And, and I've been on the, I've been on both ends and experienced that. And, and it does play a huge role in, <laughs> I feel like the, the, the judges minds, you know? Um, so I, I just feel like if people are just more on a, a neutral playing field, even though there's going to be favorites and, and biased opinions and everything, that, that's just kind of what I was getting at. You know, and I, I think it was just, I, I just saw so many things on Twitter and things with different journalists leading up to it. And I was like, Oh, like they're cool. And I just did an interview, but then they're like voting against me. I'm like, screw that. I, I'm not <laughs> going to make a list. I'm like, I just won't hit them up again. Or next time they ask me, I'll just be like, Oh, go. You know, well, you know, what? I, I don't I don't actually here's what I always tell folks, because I've gotten you know, I've been on the wrong side before, too, man. I mean, I got yours right, but I'll get the next one wrong. You know what I mean? It's just inevitable. I would say if I may, and I'm certainly in no position to tell you how to live your life. But if I may give a suggestion, don't say no to them. Go on the show and then take them to task, because yeah. that will have a huge impact on the way they think about you. Really, this game, I think you understand it, too. It's like I don't know why they were sleeping on you either. But they don't have any choice now. Like, what a wake up call this was, right? Yeah, and it's okay. Like, I'm I'm not angry. Usually, everything's okay. I was just I was just so pissed at that moment. I think mainly because my knee. I was so yeah. pissed about my knee because I was out for a year, and then it's the biggest fight of my career today, a co-main event. Everyone's watching, and then in the first 15 seconds, I blow my ACL, and I can't. I can't stick to the game plan. I can't do anything that I wanted yeah. to do. So I, I literally just had to just kind of slug it out, you know, like <laughs> tit for tat. And I think, you know, even just seeing the other, everyone's saying, Oh, precision versus power. And so that's all I have is just a powerful overhand. Right. I have a lot of precision with power behind it. And, <laughs> and I can do so much more. I come from a, a collegiate wrestling background. I, you know, I, my jujitsu is, you know, great. Um, I just haven't got to showcase it, but I, I really wanted to just, just put on a show for the world. And, uh, instead I just put on a, a boxing match. <laughs> with well, you know what? Uh, you got three checks, so it wasn't that bad. Uh, yeah. so I'm going to assume we don't know what's happening with your knee, but I'm going to assume that let's just say you're not out for too long, right? We'll leave it at that. Uh, fingers crossed, right? Knock on wood, the whole nine yards. You have to imagine, the rankings won't come out until tomorrow. You have to imagine, A, this is going to put you inside the top five or right at it. How far do you think you are from a title shot at this point? Because it can't be that far. No, I, before I fought Burgos, uh, just because I know how good he is and, and, and who he's fought and stuff like that. I was saying I'm two fights away for fighting for the title. You know, I won that. So I could be one fight away for fighting for the title. But now I see so many different people and, and just a lot of, you know, I feel like I made a, a lot of fans and people are like, I wouldn't be mad if Josh got the winner of Volkanovski and Holloway. And I know I can compete with these guys. I, I know I can. Um, so who, who knows? I, I guess it all depends on what happens. Uh, just because we're living in some crazy times right now. Um, and, and I do want to stay consistent. Hopefully it's just a meniscus. I can go in there, get it scoped and, uh, be good to go here, you know, in a few, you know, four months or so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely one fight away. It could be a title eliminator or you, you never know what's going to happen. If, if everyone's injured or people can't fight because of visas and things like that. And, um, and they want me to hop in there and fight the winner, sign me up, you know? 
I, and, and it could go that way too. You know, what's your take on it? I think, I mean, just think about the names. You've got uh, you versus a beat. That's a hell of a fight. You versus Ortega. That's a bad matchup for Ortega. You versus Korean zombie. Hell of a fight. Uh, you, I mean, I could just go down the list and you're right. If Holloway loses, you versus Volkanovsky is incredible. We're, we're, we're up against a break. So very quickly, very quickly, uh, if we can, Josh, your breakdown for the rematch between Volkanovsky and Holloway. Um, yeah, I was saying all along Volkanovski was going to win. I think stylistically it's a, it's a bad matchup. Um, so I think Volkanovski is going to, it's going to be the same outcome. Um, but I, I think Volkanovski and I are very similar in styles. You know, mm. we're, we're both big, powerful, explosive featherweights and come from a wrestling background. So I think we match up stylistically the best. So I, I want to crack at him. He's a phenomenal champion. So was Max. But, you know, there's some history there. He beat some of my teammates. Uh, I want to get it back for him. Well, you know what? You did. And uh, you had just an unbelievable fight. I know it wasn't exactly the way you had planned, but you performed ably. And, Josh, you should know, you do have some people in the MMA media who recognize your ability. I hope that you are not on the sidelines too long because you versus any of those names I mentioned is just a hell of a contest. And I like your chances and just about all of them. So I appreciate your time, Josh. Thank you so much. And congratulations on all your success. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate it. You have a good one. The biggest names in the combat sports world are on MMA Tonight. Cody Garbrandt joins us. I got to the title fast under two years in the UFC. Won the world championship. Trailblazed to the top. This time is going to be way more generous, way more sacrifice. And I just said, are you prepared to throw it all in and erase the last few years and what happened and go from there? Once I had that hard part with myself and, and stopped really making excuses or just got back to the hard work, I mean, the simplest part of hard work pays off. Happy to be back. Excited to have those feelings back inside the octagon. Back to loving it and then just working hard for it. Tuesday through Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Let's get to it now, man. As I mentioned, the card over the weekend, we knew, you know, like I said, sometimes you don't see it coming and the cards can be great. Sometimes you can see it a mile away and it hits you like a sledgehammer right in the face. That was the case with Saturday's card. Tons of good stuff to get to. So without further ado, let's get to a best of the rest. So many fights, so little time. Now that the major storylines from the action over the weekend have been dissected, here's the best of the rest. So we've been over the main event. We've been over the co-main, which is, I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. One of the best fights. I'm not sure what a better fight this year is. Cobb, is that the best fight this year? Yeah, I would say so. At least in my I'm having, I'm my having a hard time thinking about what's better. Dude, my memory's awful though, so I don't know how much how much authority it gives it. But to recent memory, yeah, that was a that was a great fight. Then we have Raquel Pennington taking on Marion Renault. Marion Renault is forty two, man. She's still out here doing it. But problem with her is she's lost three in a row now, which is not a death sentence because they're, these are weaker and thinner divisions. But Raquel Pennington, I thought that was the best she's looked, honestly. I'll even say since the Misha Tate fight which was back in 2016. That is the best she has looked in a long, long time. Since then, she had that loss to Amanda Nunes. She did not look great against Aranda Mee. She looked better against Aldana, but it was back and forth. She looked bad against Holm. And she just looked like she was on fire here against Marion Renault, who granted is not the toughest competition relative to some of the names she's faced, but she looked pretty good. Bilal Muhammad defeats Lyman Good, 29-28. Bilal Muhammad, I didn't realize, was training down with Safe Saud down at Fortis MMA in Texas. And uh, he looked great. Had a great stick and move game plan. Lyman Good had a hard time following him when he could when he could really close the gap. Man, you could see Lyman Good had big power, but he also had you know big hurt on his on his mind and his heart. 
because his dad had died a month ago. I mean, it just had to be miserable for him to try and get through this. So I didn't think Lamin Good looked bad, and he had his moments. But in the end, uh, Bilal Muhammad, I think, you know, he controlled the first two rounds. I think he lost the third, but was able to get the takedown with the body control and then the back. So he lost the round, but... Or maybe he lost the second one. But in either case, he was able to just ride out the fight from there. So it was a smart call by him. As we mentioned, Jim Miller defeating Roosevelt Roberts via armbar. What a phenomenal win by uh, him. Just spectacular. And if you go and look at the armbar... He actually doesn't uh, try to attach it right away. He was falling off the back to the side as Roosevelt was standing up. Jim had both his hands on the mat, like I'm doing a handstand almost. And it wasn't until Roosevelt let his guard down that he snatched it. Really crafty stuff from that guy. Amazing. Uh, Bobby Green defeating Clay Guida. A very weird fight. Clay Guida making it interesting. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, he hasn't had a win in the last while since BJ Penn. Uh, Joe Lazon, but that was back in 2017. So uh, not, not a great run for him of late in general, although he was pretty able here. And Bobby Green has his moments where he just looks amazing. Dude, speaking of redemptive performances, I mean, she had to make something happen here. And she did. Heading into this contest, Tisha Torres had lost four in a row. Now, she wasn't fighting chumps, but still, she had lost to Jessica Andrade, Joanna and Jacek, Zhang Wiley. Oh, you say, okay, former champions, and then a current champion. Fine. But then Marina Rodriguez. So, no, there. Dude, she beat the brakes off of Brianna Van Buren. She, Brianna Van Buren, you know, you could tell, is not a bad fighter. She was just outmatched. She had no answer for the physicality of Tisha. She had no answer for her speed. Tisha was unloading in combinations, backing her up. That was vintage Tisha Torres. She needed that win, and she got it, but it wasn't something she eked out. She put her stamp on that fight. Amazing. Marc-Andre Berriot takes on Oscar Pajota. He wins in the second round near the end of it. The only real note I have on this fight is it is amazing how much pressure wins in MMA. Pressure wins in boxing, too, but it's a lot harder to pull off. It is very... Just backing somebody up in MMA is so effective, and you saw a lot of that here. Jillian Robertson defeats Courtney Casey, rear naked choke at the end of the uh, third. Basically, Courtney Casey had been dominated and out-wrestled the entire time, and, and out-grappled. And uh, eventually, in the third, Casey turns to turtle, so she's on her hands and knees, and she must have thought she was safe there because Jillian Robertson was kind of off to the side. She did not have her back. So she sunk the choke and used the choke to sink the hook. So she kind of did it backwards, but she got the choke. Nice win. Justin Janes comes out and beats Frank Camacho in 41 seconds. Janes took this fight on like a week's notice. You know, he was not going to be in shape to go the distance with Frank Camacho. So what was his game plan? Go out there and just, you know, just try to try to knock this guy out in the first couple of minutes. That's the only game plan you can really implement. That's exactly what he did. Uh, amazing, amazing performance. Uh, Lauren Murphy gets the win over Roxanne Modafferi. Hard fought, but deserved. She just seemed to be a little bit stronger and, you know, technically precise where she needed to be. And then last but not least, uh, by the way, Lauren Murphy now won three in a row. She might be a title contender at women's flyweight. Last but not least, Austin Hubbard gets the win over Max Roshkoff, as we indicated after the end of the second round. Your fight of the night, Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos. Phenomenal. And then your performances, Jim Miller and Justin Janes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the best of the rest. 
Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.